Hello and welcome along to the latest installment of the Irish F1 show, as always in association with PFT Travel, Tech and Tools, PalaceStorage.ie, Richard Carney Engineering, Deliver It, KSNPM and Rapco. And as always, you can get us on social media at Irish F1 show. We're on Facebook, Instagram and on Twitter. Barry Rabbit, Mike Dermody and Richard Carney join us once more. Lads, you're very welcome, as always. Thank you, Kevin. Even boys. Good evening, boys. Good to see you all. Um, I know we had... A hectic weekend of it. Some of us had anyway. Are we? Uh, are we all recovered? We won't name names. <laughs> yeah, getting there. Getting <laughs> I will say no more on that particular front because guess what? It's actually all ahead of me this weekend too, and you guys will be carrying it this time next week. So um, enjoy that one. Right, let's delve straight into non-F1 stuff straight away. So it is kind of F1 stuff, or at least we're hoping maybe in the foreseeable that it could be F1 stuff, and it is maybe a grade or two a little bit below. But there's one guy that we've mentioned a hell of a lot on this program um, over the past couple of years for all the right reasons. That's Mr. Alex Dunn. And he's not the only Irish um, competitor we're going to mention on this particular program. But Baz, we'll let you take this one away. Give us a little bit of context on what Alex in particular has, has uh, I suppose, maybe proven over the past week in particular. We know we spoke about on, I think, the previous program about what he'd been doing, the opportunities he was afforded. But it seems like he's made pretty good use of those. Talk us through it. Yeah, Kev. So as we said the last uh, the last podcast, um, Alex is uh, F four champion twenty twenty two, runner up in GB three twenty twenty three this year, and he was afforded a, a last minute one day test in FIA F three. That's the F three that supports the F one races um, throughout the season. So uh, full international grey car and championship, and he was offered a, a one day test. Um, there was a gap in the program. For the regular driver who was actually off testing an Aston Martin and Alex did a one day single day test in Imola and ended the fastest in the wet which got a lot of people's attention um, at, rightly so so off the back of that um, he got another opportunity um, and this is the thing with it, when, when a driver hasn't got the full backing and funding behind them you have to take every opportunity that, that's given to you um, and sometimes they can be a poison chalice um, th- th- this weekend he was given the opportunity to race for the first time in the actual FIA F3 car at the Macau Grand Prix. Now, to those unaware, the Macau Grand Prix is the Monaco of the uh, Macau is the Monaco of um, of the of the of the Far East. Basically, it's um, it's it's a principality um, within the bound. Uh, the geography is amazing, but it's a principality in the China end of the world, and um, they have a street race there, and it's the track makes Monaco look like Silverstone and the amount of space there is around it. It's just, it's so tight, so twisty. Widely regarded as probably the best street, well, definitely the best street track in the world um, and possibly one of the best circuits full stop in the world. So a very daunting place, no room for error whatsoever. Um, approaching 190 plus mile an hour in an, F- in an F3 car around there. Um, and then... 10 mile an hour around a hairpin that they need to need to you know do a three-point turnaround so he uh alex was given this opportunity to, to, to race there that weekend now bear in mind he's never competed in an f3 car he had that one solitary day in at nimula a fortnight or so before um and he was up against a grid of people and drivers that is that have been racing f3 all year long uh, a number of them have graduated to f2 and have stepped back to do the Macau Grand Prix this year in F3. Um, the reason for that is that Macau hasn't ran for a couple of years due to COVID. China obviously being quite restricted in that sense. Um, so a lot of the guys that, that missed it on the way through as they were coming through the ranks from F3 and have gone on to F2 and IndyCar drivers, uh, there's IndyCar drivers, Formula E drivers, there was F3 current drivers, there was F2 race winners and drivers. Um, all competing in this race this weekend. Um, so a, a really, really talented field of 28 or so cars. Um, and Alex was out just to kind of get a bit of seat time, basically. Well, we've mentioned before how good Alex is and how undaunted he is by all these things. So you guys might have been putting a few uh, glasses to your lips over the weekend. What has me so tired was I was getting up in the middle of the night to uh, to, to watch... Um, did free practice one, free practice two, qualifying one, qualifying two, and both races in Macau, uh, which is the middle of the night Irish time. So, um, long story short, there's two qualifying sessions, like the old F1 system. So, 
You get the qualifying on a Friday, or sorry, on a Thursday and on a Friday. Uh, Alex was P5 of 28 cars on his first ever visit to Macau on Friday qualifying. Sorry, sorry Thursday qualifying. He was P6 on uh, Friday qualifying, which was actually the quicker session. So that meant he lined up sixth on the grid. Um, now, I can't emphasize this enough. That is ridiculous. I think anyone that has any understanding of racing at any level would think to come into a class with one day experience in a car, even a club level racing, that's very hard to do. At Macau, in an F3 car with 380 horsepower under your foot and the streets about, you know, literally 15 foot wide in places against a field of literally champions. And we're talking F2 winners, F3 champions, IndyCar drivers, as I said, he lined up six on the grid, which if the weekend stopped there, that was it. Job done. Um, he was unhappy. He kind of fight sixth. I, I was talking to him and his father by text and stuff over the weekend. And I said that, Jesus, six lads, he's got to be thrilled with that. Well, no, not really. I got balked on my fastest lap. I probably should have been second or third. So just to give you an idea of the mindset of someone operating at that level, this chap's 18, guys, you know. So it's just, it's kind of mind-blowing, to be honest. Um, in the race on Saturday, which is the qualifying race, which forms the grid for the main race on Sunday, uh, Alex had a great start. So we're all sitting there going, geez, Alex, if you finish sixth, you'll be a hero. Uh, by the first corner, he was third. Uh, and had pulled a couple of maneuvers on the way down to the first. Well, I say the first corner, there's a couple of kinks on the way down to the first proper corner. But first proper corner, he was third. Um, again, we're all sitting there going, "That's fine, Alex. That'll do. Absolutely grand. There's no problem." Um, this is a you know, this is this is like Verstappen, Senna, Hamilton level of um performance in a junior category. Uh, the restart after a safety car, watching it. I think he's going to drop back to fourth. No, no, he goes for the lead and ends up coming out of the first proper corner in second. Um, and long story short, he finished the race very strong second, pretty much fastest lap of the race, and uh, he just stopped. He just he stopped the press all around the world. To be perfectly honest with you, this Irish guy, uh, eighteen years of age, Alex Dunn, second in Macau on his debut F three race ever. Never been to Macau before. A few laps in the same at home. Um. It's just it's just fairy tale stuff, you know what he did. Now, unfortunately, on the Sunday he uh, he had a, he had a, an issue down the first corner and and and, and he, he caught the he's trying to he's trying to basically battle for the lead in the first corner and he just got tagged and hit the wall, tagged hit the wall himself rather, and it, it, it finished the race. But you know what? It's it's not even hardly worth mentioning because everything he did before that, um, at every stage, everyone was going, "That's plenty. You're in the top ten. That's amazing. Top six. That's amazing. He's third. He's second. Yeah, I mean, it was just absolutely phenomenal stuff. And um, if if uh, if we haven't heard who Alex Dunn is before now, I think uh, get onto the socials, give him a follow because yeah, he's he's definitely going places with a bit of luck. It's 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 phenomenal. Like it's it's an Irish guy, and we know him, so we're obviously behind him. But putting that aside, it genuinely is superstar type stuff that we're watching here, which is fantastic. Yeah, I, I saw that overtake after the safety car, actually, and I thought, wow, yeah. uh, what, what a driver. I think Browning is no flat tyre either. You know what I mean? <laughs> the guy that won there. On the... the guy who only won it on the Saturday, just ahead of um, just ahead of Alex, yeah, Luke Browning. He's um, BRDC Young Driver of the Year from a mm. couple of years back, um, and he was testing an Aston Martin F1 car a couple of weeks ago, so that's your level. The other car, the other driver in the team, um, Isaac Kajar is a F2 race winner Good and runner. Red Bull driver, and that's Alex. That was Alex's teammate at the weekend, who he, who basically was quicker than all weekend. Alex was, despite being in the car for one day. And Hajar, not to dismiss him at all, he's a phenomenal driver. Has a, you know a season of F3 and a couple of F2 wins under his belt. So and and and, and Alex kind of put him away. Uh, all the way through the weekend until, as I said, we had an issue on Sunday, so we didn't get to the end. But it was, um, yeah, it's just, it's, it's, it's really incredible stuff. Mm. Mike, can I bring you in here if that's okay? Just in relation to a couple of things, I suppose. Um, another one of the things that struck me was the the tea shock, giving him a mention, right? Which was, uh, which is pretty cool. Obviously, there's the undoubted uh, talent that we're that we're seeing, but it's something that. 
you can kind of nearly assume from his demeanour, given the fact that he done so well, you get the feeling this guy would nearly be beating himself up over the small part of the weekend rather than looking at the bigger picture. And in particular, the thing where you say, right, he's qualified sick, he's not happy. Con, like it just it just shows you the, the level of thinking and the level of thought, as Barry's kind of touched on already. Seems like a real talent. I don't think much is going to phase him. No, look, he's a young lad that strives for perfection every time. Every time he sits into something or does something, every, he's looking to learn. I mean, like I suppose the easiest way to describe it is some of us might drive a car every meter or whatever. He's he's the sort of guy who wants to drive at every millimeter, you know. Um, that's just the type of kid he is, really. Um, and the, you know his. His biggest, probably his bigger challenge will be. I'm sure he's probably had. I think Richard might have even said it to me that he's been not, he's been spoken to by a couple of of recognised teams already. But he, he needs. I suppose he's trying to avoid. I hope at least that's the story that he's trying to avoid sort of being being shoehorned into a position where we where he gets lost in the system somewhere and we don't see him. This guy needs proper backing so that he can be out in front doing what he done the weekend. Mm-hmm. Richie, I know you've been very impressed by him as well, but we need to talk about Max Hart also. Maybe give us a little bit of a rundown on on his weekend. Yeah, same same story with uh, Max as, as Alex Macau. Obviously, different codes. Max was driving a saloon car, still an Irish fella. Absolutely brilliant see him up there. And um, similar situation. He didn't qualify what he thought was the Mayor West. I think he was fifth or sixth, and he... Seem to be a little bit unhappy, and as Barry alluded to it with, with Alex, like we're all sitting at home. Obviously, I wasn't looking at it live, but I watched it all the next day. And like you're sitting there and you're going, Man, you're 16 Macau, like for and then went and put it on pole for the, the super final on, on the Sunday. Like, I mean, to compete in Macau, like Barry compared Macau to Monaco, right? Which they're very, very similar, only. Macau will allow you overtaking opportunities and it's about one million times faster than Monaco ever will be. And it's one, it's like 20 foot narrower in street size. It's it's phenomenal. Like, you know, even you watch the bikes race around it, you watch all the categories racing around it. Like it's one slight lapse in comfort, in fucking concentration and you're, you know, you're binded. Like. So, I mean, absolutely congratulations to Max Hart and his team. Hyundai he was racing with, I think. And um, you know, we he done the endurance race with myself and Barry only a couple of weeks ago. That's the sort of down to earth guy he is. And absolutely delighted to see him get a win in Macau. You know, brilliant to see him on the on the top step of the podium. Mm-hmm. And the other thing, uh I think Baz has his own mic muted there now. I was gonna just do it from my side. You wanna hit the unmute there, Baz, if uh, if you're able to you're saying, Yeah, I I'll I'll sort it out here. Chronic uh, off for development and we apologize to the listeners whatever but what I was going to say there was, um, you know, it's something you, you, you touched on in relation to this being very much shop window territory. Like, so it's definitely noticed. You said it stopped, it stopped the press. But what, what does need to happen for the kid to make the right decision? Um, because obviously, you know, there's a lot of mitigating factors. As the lads have touched on there, you don't want to go down the, the wrong road. But at the same time, you know, if an opportunity is there, you can't turn your nose up at it either. You don't know who's going to come knocking again if, 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 if ever. So what are all these factors that needs to happen in relation to Alex there was saying in particular? I mean, it's crystal ball stuff. That's that's the problem. And it's as as, as Richie pointed out there with the, the rub of the fingers, it's, you know, money money is a, money's a great lubricator in these things. It, it, it really helps. Um, it makes you... If 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 you um, if you have the few quid in your pocket, whether it be personal money or family money or sponsorship money, y- you can control your destiny a little bit more. You can you can hold out and um, not sign the first contract that's thrown in front of you, um, you know, because you're kind of self sufficient to a certain extent. Um, you know, we've seen that in F one a lot of a lot of you know sons of very very wealthy men make, making their way to the top of the sport, um. It's not a that like it's not to take from their talent. There's no question there, but it definitely it definitely makes it easier in terms of just making making the the the, the decision process much more straightforward. Um, so you know what we have with the academies, it's not it's not unknown. The academies are not all that they kind of um you know I won't say that they pretend to be. I think it's just people presume it wrong. Um, that the academy comes in and signs up a driver and basically just starts writing checks and throwing it, throwing it around the place. It's absolutely not like that. 
Um, in many cases, the drivers pay to be in the academy for the associated kudos of it. Um, and, uh, you know, there's a, there's, they learn a lot there. They get to, you know, shadow drivers in the higher categories and, you know, sit in on debriefs and simulator time and everything else. So, you know, that that's why a lot of the drivers who are very well funded pay to be part of the academies as opposed to the other way around. Um, but having said that, you know, the academies are looking for top level drivers. Um, you know, the Verstappens, the Hamiltons, the Leclerc's, this caliber of driver. Um, and I think in Alex's case, the longer he can, you know, paddle his own canoe in so, so you know, in terms of making his way around the grids and, and making his way around the, the, the classes and, you know, doing what he did at Macau, um, ultimately the better, the better deal and the more, um, freedom of a deal he'll get so that he doesn't end up just maybe being in the wrong place at the wrong time because we've seen that before you know if you're if you're the if you're the junior driver associated with a team that just happens to have no occupancy in either of the cars at the time that you're kind of maturing to f1 level you're just left behind it's not you know it's 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 a it's a it's a nasty sort of world there's no there's nobody there not char- it's not charity you know so it can be just pure bad luck if you're in the wrong so a lot of a lot of it will be trying to to forecast you know in theory alex if he on his current trajectory will be knocking on the door in f1 in a couple of years i'll go into plan in two to three years i'll go into plan he'll be knocking on the door of f1 and possibly testing before that um so he has to and those around him have to figure out what will the landscape be in two or three years' time? Who's under contract? Who's not under contract? Where's the gap going to open up? And make sure that he's in a position to be available to take that gap if and when it appears. So, as I said, just to touch, the answer, so, just to touch on Barry's point, and Barry, you'll correct me if I'm wrong here, right? Because I, I might be wrong, but Luke Browning that won the the the, the Macau GP on Sunday, as everyone's seen, he's Williams' back driver. Williams Academy drive. Now, um, if Alex Stone was in that position where he was a Williams backed or a Williams Academy driver, Alex couldn't have done what he done last weekend and just up sticks when an opportunity arose and went and drove at Macau for high tech because he would be contracted to Williams. Am I correct in saying that, Barry? Yeah, there were, I mean, I don't know. It's the specifics of their agreements, obviously, who, who could know that. But yeah, it's very well within the bounds of possibilities that that would be correct which yeah he wouldn't be completely free to pick and choose um wh- where he can go uh and and that's one of the downsides you know as i said it's just i suppose the main thing here is for those listening is just to understand that it's not it's not a golden ticket you know being associated with teams is not a golden ticket it's not like they just go okay job's done start writing the checks lads just tell me when i show up and go racing um, it's a lot more nuanced than that. It's a lot more complicated than that. There's um, a lot of, you know, limitations as Richie's alluded to there that could that could, that could pop up along the way. But um, it's not bad news to be associated with an F1 team. Of course, it's not. It's great news that they're coming knocking on the door. Um, but it's not as simple and straightforward as just you know, oh, who's going to give me the most money? Yeah, sure, I'll sign with you. It's great. You know, there's a, like like all things in life. It looks very easy on the outside looking in. Um, everyone else's business is simple. You know, it's uh, but when you get there, it's a, it's a different story. So, look, it's it, he, Alex as a driver cannot do any more than what he's doing. Um, just to reiterate, what he did at Macau is, you know, generational talent type stuff. You know, it's not it's not like oh yeah, he's fairly handy. He did Macau. It's it's Jesus, this guy is this guy is you know the top of the top, and that's what he's that's what he's showing at the moment. Um, you don't get into an F three car for your first ever time in any track in competition, finish second in a grid of twenty eight cars, peppered with F two winners, F three winners, IndyCar drivers, Formula E race winners. It doesn't happen unless you're otherworldly in in ability. Let's you know so. That's what we're dealing with here. He's an Irish guy, you know, from County Offaly. Myself and Richie know his dad reasonably well. Noel, he was, you know, Alex didn't lick it up off the stones, let's be honest. His mom worked in Mandela, no, no. put in the entries for us long ago, Liz. You know, they're a yeah. full-on racing family. 
Um, and uh, yeah, he's uh, he's the real deal, guys. Onwards and upwards, onwards and upwards, and oh, whatever is needed becomes available. That's all. That's all I can say on it. And to, to finish up on that, I suppose. So we'll turn our attention to to Vegas, and obviously there wasn't massive hopes harbored for Vegas from a racing point of view by our contributors here. And correct me if I'm wrong. I think I think that was the case. If memory serves me correct, and it probably wasn't looking that way for the first day anyway, in particular, especially when there's an issue around the drain cover. Um, and then a couple of hours later, the whole stand is cleared out for FP2, and it just seems like the most ridiculous thing of all time. And, and ultimately, you're you're probably coming across saying that, that this is a failure. But I've also seen people in as the weekend has transpired, Mike saying that, do you know what, in terms of race entertainment, I'm not talking about all the other glitz and glam, it actually wasn't that bad. What's your take on it? No, actually, actually, it, there was, it was good racing from start to finish, you know, from, um, from, the, from the front to the back of the grid. There was plenty of overtaking, there was plenty of moves, there was a little bit of banging and smacking, and I'm sure we'll talk about that in a minute, and a couple of penalties handed out as a result of it. But, you know, when you, when you looked at the very start of the race, right, and they looked at them coming up, lining up, and the camera looked down along this really shiny road that looked like it was already half wet, right? And you could see nothing on any dirt and dust off the racing line, and you're thinking, this is going to be absolute mayhem, you know? How are they going to get this, uh, get to turn one? As it happens, they didn't, but like it was, you just thought, Jesus, do these guys not understand this? The, 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 the pace and the power of these cars like you know it's it's one thing to to uh, mess about the way they had but no this is the serious side of it and you're just worried that it's going to be an absolute joke but I actually enjoyed the race it turned out it turned out to be there was something to watch on every lap almost you know mm. Richie yeah well, sort of same as I was pretty sceptical about this Vegas race and I Probably would have been in full agreement with Max at the start of the weekend. Ninety-nine percent show and one percent about the race. Um, free practice one was a joke. Like for for, you know that just goes that the show was more important than the race for something so stupid like that to happen to cancel it. Free practice two, not a person in the crowd because of road openings and things had to be done by a certain hour of the morning, which is fair enough. Listen, it's a city that never sleeps, so they're trying to get a Grand Prix off away in it. Um, and we move on to qualifying. Okay, but then we go on to the race, and as Mike says, everyone knew like not one, a couple of road, well, probably a couple of hundred thousand road cars through today is all passed over and back to track. Like, so little, no rubber laid down. You could see it was shiny. You could, like, you could tell once these lights go green, this is going to be anyone's game here. And look, we've we've always been saying this throughout the season. This is what to get paid the big money for. This is like we we always say if we want a bit of excitement in F1. Throw a, a sprinkle of water across the circuit. Give them a tricky circuit. Same thing, you know. And and it, like from from turn one on, you know, middle of the race it lulled a little bit, but then towards the end it took off again. And and I have to be honest, I did, I really enjoyed the race. Not much of the rest of the weekend, but the race I really enjoyed. Mm-hmm. Buzz, yeah, I mean, the race was good, as the lads have have said, but um. It's probably just as well it was good because I think Las Vegas would have been in big trouble if, if it wasn't with the, the, the hype and the show and the litany of errors that, that that happened over the weekend from the drain pipe to, you know, throwing the fans out for FP2 to, you know, the the, the, the parade cars leaking oil off the, on the, <laughs> off the front row on the left side of the grid that, the, that Verstappen had to drive straight through an hour later off the line. So, and I know... I was watching. There was a pe- there was people throwing these things out um, on on Twitter and saying, "Jesus, look, look, they did this." And there was, you know, and every people writing back and go, "Oh well, in in Monaco and next year, the you know the roof in the tunnel leaked, and and then you know, oh, well, what about the course car? Oh well, in Spain and this year that happened. And what about it? Oh well, yeah, but the difference here is these all happened on one weekend. You know, it was <laughs> like they were they were excusing the Las Vegas mistakes by saying that it had happened somewhere else but they, they had to go back through the whole history of F1 to find as many uh, as many as uh, you know uh, and, and you're kind of missing the point there if there's five things going wrong in one weekend it's a problem you know one of them on their own is grand and I think 
you know, that I know for a fact because um, my own brother was half thinking of going over to, to, to the race and looked up some flights and stuff. And, you know, only very recently, just and he didn't go in the end chain, but it, it, he was watching the, the, the prices and everything and they, they went through the floor. Um, mm. And he just kept getting lower and lower and lower. And, you know, there was, it, looked, it didn't look full, to be honest. Um, and it didn't look like those that were there were really watching the race. So, yeah. I, and then the thing about it is, it was all of this, this hype about, oh, down the, down the strip and, you know, going by this hotel and going by that hotel and the Mirage. And the Sphere was cool. I give him that. The Sphere was it cool. Was. Yeah. But, the, you know, after that, short of the, the helicopter shots, they could have been anywhere. It could have been Bacow at uh, Baku at night time. You know, it just and then because it's a street circuit, the, the the cameras are up close, so you don't get this. You can't you can't see the cars from any sort of a distance. They're in and out with a shot in a couple of seconds because the cameraman is trying to record something underneath them nearly, like you know. Um. So, yeah, I'd say it was amazing to be there. If you're one of the few, probably only thousands of people that could be there and do it properly, i.e., spend, you know probably six figures to really appreciate the whole course of the weekend um but for the vast majority of those watching it from the outside i think it was it was just a bit meh it was a bit yeah okay a couple of cool shots from the outboard you know from the helicopter whatever else but the race was fantastic you know the race itself was was a very very good race but um how much of that was down to vegas and how much of it was just you get good races and you get bad races it, it happened to be a good one um, there was a lot of change for position, but again, the DRS. I mean, the straight was a mile long or something. It was, yeah. you know. Um, Sorry, lads. Is that just my phone or is Barry mumbling to all the rest of No, I can hear him clear. That's just you're can just. You hear Barry listening to me, Richie. That's all you hear. Yeah, yeah there's, there's been a bit of feedback. Uh, I think from Barry's microphone through the system, whatever's going on, and I've just been muting it and unmuting it. But other than that, it seems to be fairly all right. Okay, I'll change something here if it's any better. Yeah. But, um, but, yeah but, look, good, good race you know it, it was a good race I thought um, Verstappen drove out with skin again uh, he you know he, he, he got banged in well the first corner we'll come back to that but you know he lost a good portion of the, the side end plate of his front wing and he managed to come back um, from, from a lowly position the safety car may or may not have helped him and he won again you know just to show the level of performance is not dropping off and we've seen it in the Hamilton years when everyone won the championship. Pretty much Rosberg just took over and won every race after the end of, after after that until the end of the season. I've yeah. seen that from Stappen. He just keeps hammering them home. Yeah. For, uh, uh, and he, he even agreed, Barry, he even agreed with a few laps to go. <laughs> at least it sounded like on the radio that he was to, he was putting the arm out the window and he was trying to get he was trying to keep Checo where he needed him, you know. So yeah, yeah, yeah. He, well, he was trying. I think they were trying to help Checo. And some yeah, they were. Yeah, yeah. Get him the toe. Give him yeah. the toe to get to, to, to defend from Leclerc, but it, it didn't work in the end. Leclerc launched it down the inside a couple of laps to go. Or the last lap was, wasn't it? Last, last yeah. lap. Yeah, yeah. No, good race. I, I, I don't know how much of it was down to the fact it was in Vegas or it was just a good race, you know, just like some years. I think it was the circuit layout, really. I think it was the circuit layout. And I think also... Uh, a couple of them ran slightly different setups because they were uncomfortable with the unevenness of the road and the lack of grip as well. I mean, at science at one stage said it was like driving them the wet, or was it Russell? I can't remember. But even even Checo, he was hand, he was driving a bit more rear wing than Max would because I don't think mm. he was comfortable in the car the way Max was. And I think the reason Lando Norris went off was because of a bump on the road where he lost some traction and then just lost, just had nowhere to go. But so some of them were running slightly different setups, which I suppose lent itself to more overtaking than a coming out of the speed trap, you know. Well, it's like the it's like the sprint weekends we see where generally they can the lack of of practice running and the lack of data on you know just retained from previous years does mix up the order a little bit, which is to be expected. And and I think Vegas, you know, obviously. No, no one had any experience. The track didn't exist a month ago, basically. So no, no one had any experience. Um, cold temperatures, you know, it's kind of a un, you know, a very virgin type track. No rubber in or anything like that. So, um, that's probably was the biggest, you know, effect on the, you know, the kind of ups and downs of the race. Um, they'll have learned a lot this year. So it mightn't mightn't just be the same next year. They know they know what they're uh, they know what they're facing next year. 
Mike, Richie told me before, you're a great man to go through a rule book and, and that side of things and to be quite detailed and try to pick out something, right? I don't know if that's a myth or whether it's a legend, but I know, you know, we're going to put you on the spot. That's what I do know. Um, it seems bizarre to me that people would spend a number of hours looking up their rule book to try and find some way to not give science a penalty for something that obviously wasn't his fault. And he gets a 10-place grid penalty for hitting that divot that uh, that bursted the battery or whatever. Now, am I wrong to suggest that surely in most of these situations there is enough within our rule to find something somewhere to give someone the benefit of doubt? Or uh, obviously, I'm not trying to suggest there's a conspiracy theory here, right? <clears throat> At what point can... can, can but the the rule book predominantly deals with behaviour. In addition to the way you construct your car and and having to deal with the way your car is built, the rule book, in addition to that, predominantly deals with the behaviour of the driver. Right. So it deals with it. It, it doesn't. It doesn't anti- like what do you do? You can't give the track a five second penalty because the manhole <laughs> cover came up. Do you know what I mean? So like there is no, there was no, there was no mechanism within the rules as as they are currently drafted to be able to say, okay, you've after, you're after changing everything here now. The rule says if that happens, you get a ten place ten place grid penalty. But there's nothing in it that says if it happened the way it did, you're exempt from that. Yeah. That's yeah the problem we have, the problem we have with F1, and, and we've touched on this before, is. Right, if they go and let science away with that, as in, there's no rule to tell us we need to give them our whatever five second penalty. So listen, it was an act of God. We're going to let you off and get your car fixed and go mm-hmm. qualify. Well, then the problem F1 has is they're going to have to write half a book of rules to cover that one little thing. Yeah, that they've yeah. breezed over that we've spoke about before. Rules eating rules. You know what I mean? Yeah, well, that that that's it. Like, I think if you read the Stewart's the, the Stewart's report or whatever, you know, on the penalty on the issue of the penalty, they looked for a way to not give the penalty mm. because they they knew it was unfair, unfair for one better yeah. description. But mm. there, there was no mechanism, as Mike says, within the rules to allow that. The, the rule is quite black and white. The rule says if this happens to your battery and you need to change it, well, then the penalty is this. It doesn't care how it happened. It just you're changing your battery, you get a penalty. Bang, yeah. bang. Um, yeah. and there's no way around it. And and they can't <clears throat> you know, they can't start using this kind of thing that you hear, oh use common sense. Well that's not <clears throat> that's a bit, you know, common sense is is, is one one man's version of it. It's not a it's it's not black and white. Um and and it will cause them more problems than they than 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 it than it solves. So, I be I would say they're already writing a rule somewhere into the books now that does give them a discretion for the likes of a track uh, problem causing a, a car issue. They just didn't yeah. foresee it coming before. Um, and, and if well, they don't oh, carefully, yeah. Sorry, Barry. If they don't carefully think about the wording and how that's crafted, right? Yeah. They're opening the door for. So many different ways that it can be abused. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because yeah. someone will find a way to, you know, yeah. accidentally damage the battery so that they get a new one. They'll figure it out. So they have to be very, very careful yeah. on it. Um, yeah. But, you know, it doesn't change the fact that science got screwed. It did, mm. yeah. Definitely got screwed, yeah. Yeah, which is, which is quite shit. Wouldn't it be nice to see something written in whereby, and again, you have to be careful you craft that, but if there was an overwhelming majority of teams kind of had a say in waiving something there Under is criteria there is kev of some description um a version of that um whereby they can they can they can collectively waive the penalty um but what i heard was that they they it was initially put out there that mercedes said no to that and didn't and didn't sign the you know metaphorical piece of paper let's say um i don't think it got that far because they realized there's no point because even if it gets that far mercedes won't sign it so let's not bother even writing it in the first place so um it can happen um but you know 
it'd be it it'd be a rarity that it, that all all nine other teams would 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 sign up for it because there'll be an advantage to one of them to not to, and they're pretty rootless when it comes down to it. Well, one one place in the constructors championship is worth something like fourteen million. Yeah. Just to put it into context, right? So, uh, if the roles were reversed, what would Ferrari have not thought long and hard about whether they'd want to, to no. sign it? No, they'd all say they would have, but when it comes, comes down, to, when it comes down to it, money talks. Yeah, yeah. So, oh yeah, yeah. And they'll all say, "Oh, geez, it's terrible what happened. And that that shouldn't have happened." But then, if you ask them to actually put that into yeah. action, they'll say that won't. as they're putting the pen into their pocket, pretending they don't have one. So, yeah, 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 yeah. exactly. <laughs> yeah. Just yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So look, I mean, we've touched on a few bits and bobs, and to be honest with you guys, um, I know we've a lot more to to go through. Uh, we've also got the last race, of course, coming this weekend. Um, but you can talk about Leclerc and uh, and and Verstappen there, whichever one is want to want to pick it up. But um, I would like to put a bit of an emphasis on what is actually up for grabs this weekend because I, I think a lot of what could be spoken about, probably has been spoken about an awful lot already. It's just nice to get a, a twist on the stuff that um, obviously is standout-ish from, from, from our point of view, which is very much our, our niche, I suppose, we're a marriage twist. But with the quick rollover, there's there's a lot to play for. So let's give this a bit of airtime, I think, as well. We'll go with the penalty first, though, before we move, move on from Vegas. Um, Baz, do you want to pick us up on that? So um, this is the opening lap, first corner of yeah. the top yeah. of the so yeah, so Verstappen starting on the inside, um, got a good start despite the couple of liters of hot rod oil that was left on the ground from the driver's parade. <laughs> but uh, he he got a good start, got alongside um, uh, got alongside Leclerc in the Ferrari up into the first corner, which comes very soon. I think they were barely in third gear. It's probably the shortest, 180 meters or something like that to the first corner. Um, yeah, from, from the grid, very very short run there to the first corner. Um. Got alongside uh, Leclerc. The corner came and pretty much went, and the two of them were still heading straight on. And I mean, I watched it initially, and I just went, I mean, Max, that's you know, you're just literally drove them straight off the track, and just didn't bother turning the corner till, till the the the, the track was you know running out basically, uh, which meant Leclerc had had to go wide with him. And uh, I was actually surprised that uh, Russell and Tour didn't maximize on it and get one or both of them. But yeah, so. It just looked like uh, Verstappen got up the inside and just did a kind of, a, I suppose, in motocross or motorbike racing, he called it a block pass. He just kind of get in and then stop the other guy from turning into the corner. Um, and it, when we watched it back in the onboard, you could see, as the guys were talking about earlier, the track was just so shiny and so slippery that there was there was no grip. Um, Alonso lost it in the middle of the grid. He just turned into the corner and the back let go um, all on his own and he was pointing the wrong way um, instantly. So it was the same thing that happened for Stappen. You can see the back of the car breaking away and he has to turn into it and then the, he basically runs out of track. But nonetheless, that's for Stappen's fault. You know, yeah. he, 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 it, it, the, the whys of how it happened are irrelevant. You know, you could just say, well, you went, you turned in too fast, you lost the back of it, you ran wide and you passed your car off the track. So, but he, he held position coming out of the first corner and had about a two-second lead heading down onto the second lap or third lap maybe and there was no sign of him giving the position back and I think in fact his Red Bull uh, team came on and said don't give the position back you know and they mentioned something about being fully alongside which was laughable because he wasn't even close to it or or ahead at the apex neither of them got anywhere near the apex so I don't think where that that was coming from but um, yeah so so he got a five second penalty um, rather than giving the position back and I think they need to look at that because it's better to get ahead of someone and try and pull out five seconds than be stuck behind them. And I think that's exactly what all these teams are thinking at the minute. So they get a five-second penalty and go, yeah, that's a bit of a bummer, but let's just get their head down and and, and yeah. notify them. Yeah. And, and I think they're going to have to do something about it. Either make it a, a bigger penalty, uh, like a 10-second penalty, or um, I think we spoke about this before. What they probably need to do is make it a big enough penalty that the teams voluntarily overturn and, and re- re- put it back because you can be sure if that was a 10 second penalty or certainly a 15 second penalty or, or you know some sort of draconian penalty 
that Red Bull would have instantly been on the radio to Verstappen saying swap around, swap around because it's better to be behind him and try and pass him clean than to carry a 10 or 15 or a stop-go penalty or whatever. Five seconds is too easy to nullify, um, especially if you're in a faster car, which is why you'll be passing someone in the first place. So, um, on a top for stat, what did he say? Uh, you, when, he, when he was told he had a five-second penalty, send to the he said to the, regard the FIA, give them my regards, yeah, which is basically yeah. like, thanks, lads. That's pretty much left me off the hook on that one. So, um, yeah. again, though, they, they probably don't, they don't have, I'm presuming they don't have the mechanism to tell them to turn it around. You know, that's probably not in the rules that they can say, just turn turn it around and give them the position back. They probably have only got the penalty at their disposal. I see um, a lot of big-name pundits critical of Max's, I suppose, stance on being so outspoken about Vegas. And what we, we said earlier, Rich, you, you, you actually put the quote out there, so I won't repeat it. But why, why would people be critical of that? Is that not refreshing to see, Mike? I don't know. I mean, you think about it. He, he's gone there with a mindset to he's going to get free practice one, free practice two, set his car up, get some rubber down on that track, do what they have to do. You know, it's their job. Lads. It's their job, you know. Um, and he still has to, he's still expected to get out there on Sunday when the lights go out and do that. So all that is just a distraction. So, you know, it's 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 not where his headspace wants to be, I don't suppose, you know. Um, so I, I, I understood why he, why, why he took that view. Maybe he, he could have been a little bit more subtle in how he delivered the message for sure. But um, he, that wasn't what he went there to do, he, you know, genuinely. Yeah. So I, yeah. I, I'd have a bit of sympathy for him because, you know, he's, he, it's, he's, he's measured by what he done on the track, not being put up there and, you know, driven around in cars with oil leaks and, put on show for everybody for two days with no free practice. Um, and, you know, just the rest of it. The, I think what the other unfortunate circumstances only would have added to his sense of frustration. Mm -hmm. Richie, slight tangent here, right? But um, I don't know if you've seen, obviously, in the past 24 hours where Kadarov and Perez doing a half calendar with WRC over the next couple of years and he's going into a bit of drifting. Now, obviously, this is not comparing like for like because... I think he's recognised, obviously, that there's other opportunities that can be quite fruitful in the pocket. And F1, obviously, maybe isn't uh, the right comparison to be making to WRC in that particular regard. But one thing that did struck me, or strike me, I should say, is something that we spoke about quite a bit on this podcast, is how long more he's going to stick around for. And when you see Kadarov and Perra doing that, it just got me thinking about it again. Do you think in the, in the not-too-distant future he might start dabbling with other disciplines? Um, <clears throat> I wouldn't be surprised. Um, I think maybe if he gets next year, if he gets his forward, that he might be happy enough. But um, just obviously touching on the Vegas weekend and, and in in touching on Max, obviously they never told him they were dressing him up as fucking Elvis Presley and, and putting him, you know, and with all the criticism <laughs> he gave the weekend, like, did no one tell him, listen, you're actually... You're being dressed up as Elvis Presley here for the weekend, pal, with your race. So, like, <laughs> I thought that was a bit, a bit of a mad miscommunication. And then for Max to turn around at the end of the weekend, ah, sure, it's not so bad of a class. <laughs> sure, I won. So look at it, it's, it's grand. Sure, look, the circuit was good, the race was good, and blah blah blah. But no, honestly, I think if he gets his four title, it, I, me personally, I think he's gone. Buzz. Yeah, kind of laughing at Rich there because it is. It's I think that's where I I would have absolutely no issue what what Verstappen said over the course of the weekend. Um, he's a he's just a racer. He just wants to race cars, and I suppose from his point of view, I mean, just to touch on that, I read something <clears throat> during the week where he was off. Um, the the son of his manager races uh, a Ferrari, <clears throat> excuse me, in in a, a GT category in Europe. And uh, Verstappen was off at some test day privately helping him, giving him tuition and doing laps in the car and blah, blah, blah. You know, like that. He's just he just wants to drive race cars. You know, mm -hmm. obviously, Formula One is the pinnacle, but he just wants he's a racer. He just wants to go racing, you know, and, and, and the, 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 the hype and the bullshit that associates some races these days, in particular Vegas. As far as he's concerned, it's just it's it's just unnecessary noise in the background. 
which is probably he can probably live with on its own right um when it's not distracting or to, to, from the event in itself but i think if if i if i understood him correctly what he was really most annoyed about was that and you can understand that he's there he's doing he's doing his thing he's you know performing as an elite sportsman at the absolute pinnacle of 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 ability and putting everyone away you know let's not put too fine a point in it they're risking life and limb when they're in these cars we get a little bit blasé about that these days but there's no doubt that they are they're doing 300 or what are you doing, 225 mile an hour in vegas between steel walls um and i suppose you what i took from it was he's like we're doing that and the people that are here are more interested in basically going on the piss and watching the dj now I can get that. Yeah. you know i can understand that, that you know he'd probably have he probably would be more he mentioned about emotion and stuff like that. He just he probably would get a bigger kick out of going to a, a cart meeting or, or something where whereas people standing in, in the in the you know in in freezing rain or whatever watching the racing for the racing. And I, I think that's why if if my understanding of what he was saying was correct, I think that was his big criticism of it, right? Let all this stuff go on if you want, but we should be here for the racing first and foremost. And I seen a few shots for the weekend with cars buzzing by, and there was, they weren't people just you know they were at the bar ordering another drink. They weren't they weren't even watching the racing, and that's that would probably sting a little bit if you're if if you're operating at that level. I think he was right to to call it because there's too many people just towing the line and you know just saying all the things that they're they're supposed to say. Um, but having said all of that. He definitely dropped the ball by singing Viva Las Vegas in an Elvis Presley. <laughs> I mean, I think that I, I, the, someone said he must have got a talking to, but <clears throat> I don't think it was that. I think he just lost himself in, in the moment, but he definitely, uh, it watered down his, his previous comments a little bit from 24 hours earlier, or 48 hours earlier, that particular outburst. But, you know, here, none of us have won a Grand Prix in, in Vegas, so who are we to judge? <laughs> yes, <Yeah, fair, fair. laughs> yes. Yeah, yeah. Anything any there? We'll ask Alex in a few years, hopefully. <laughs> so, looking ahead to next weekend, um, I, I'm going to do the, the boring bastard segment, which is, is obviously the facts, <laughs> which we have touched on kind of previously in relation to the amount of points that Max has scored in the drivers' championship. That's five four nine, and you go to the constructors, Mercedes, who are in second, are on three nine two. So. <laughs> Yeah, as, as you've kind of said, they, they would have wrapped it up with just Max's points. But the other thing that struck me on that, with Mercedes on 392 and with Red Bull on 822, the margin between those two is actually greater than the number of points that Mercedes has scored, which I, I thought was <laughs> relatively interesting. But again, it's the boring bastard segment. Um, but there is a little bit to play for in that constructor's shake-up over the weekend. Mercedes 392, Ferrari 388. But there's also a little bit to play for in the driver's side of things. So you've got Carlos Sainz on 200, you've got Alonso on 200, you've got Norris on 195, and you've got Leclerc on 188. So that gives a little bit of intrigue, I guess, Mike. Doesn't that go into the weekend? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, everybody wants to finish as high up there up there as they can, you know. Uh, it's not that long ago where we were saying if Perez wasn't careful, Hamilton was going to pip him for second place. And it was he gave it a fair go to his credit. So... There, there is a course. I mean, everybody wants to be wants to be further, closer to the top step at the end of the season. Of course, that's what we went out there all year to drive for, you know. So, mm-hmm. uh, but it is very, it is tight. Like you're you're talking about uh, from fourth place. I mean, yeah, from fourth place down to uh, seventh place, any one of them can switch, depending on how they go on Sunday. Any one of them, and it's to have Fernando, Fernando and Carlos. Uh, you know, compatriots both on the same points. That could be a good scrap if they get close to one another. Mm, yeah, very interesting indeed. And the other thing, guys, is there anything uh, in relation to this again we want to finish up on? Because I want to talk a little bit about Braun as well. How are we fixed for Abu Dhabi? Are we done? Is that pretty much it? Yeah, so. happy enough. So this Braun thing, without giving away spoilers, and I don't know if all you have seen it or whatever, I had my doubts yeah. about this as a production, okay, right, Gannery is top class, right, but you just didn't really know how it was going to plan out, and I have watched it, and I think it's top notch, and would 100% recommend to a friend, maybe even to an enemy, uh, I think I think we've got consensus on that too, have we? 
Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, yeah great I, job. I watched it over the last couple of evenings, and um, the proof of it was my uh, my 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 lovely wife Andrea sat down beside me and said, "She'll watch a few minutes of this," and she watched the whole four episodes. So that's about as glowing a review as you're gonna get, I think. You know, so mm. she 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 you know she'd have a very passing interest in it, and she just thought it was really interesting, great story, well told, um, and uh, yeah, it was it was. Uh, I, it was totally enjoyable for and and yeah. and a bit of a breath of fresh air compared to the deep down to the drive to the survive type stuff that yeah. we've seen lately. So it was just it, it, they merged that line between you know keeping the anoraks like us happy and you know making it interesting enough that in, in my case Andrea my missus sat beside me and watched it and got just as much from it. Um, you know that's a difficult thing to do, I'd imagine, to to draw that line, and they did it very well. Mm-hmm. And Baz, you said off air earlier that obviously there's a, a book, I think, that you mentioned was a Nick Fry's book. Um, yeah. I don't know if his book or whether he contributed to the book, but it was quite insightful. But you still came away with a little bit, a little bit more insight having watched this on top of that. like. Yeah, well, I've, I, I, I've, I read a decent bit of um, motorsport stuff. And I, I read a book on it from, uh, it was Nick Fry. I can't just think of the, um, the title of the book now. No, winning something that comes in. Anyway, it was a um, decent hardback book. And I also read um, Button's biography, which had a chapter or two on it, obviously. Um, yeah. so I, I, and I you know, read the articles and listened to the podcast and all the rest of it. So I was fairly up to speed, so to speak, of, um, of what, what, what was going to happen. Um, but I still, yeah, I still found it really, really enthralling, really interesting, really well put together. Um, just a great story. Um, and it had all the main characters in it, um, you know, doing their talking headpiece the camera which was just it was uh it was great to see it from all the different angles and there was definitely a bit of needle there between between one side of the garage and the other between Barrichello and and uh and and button and and probably more specifically between their engineers so yeah that was gas <laughs> you can see that coming across between jock clear and um and uh, Paddy, uh, uh shoveling what's is it? andrew shoveling yeah. yeah um so it was, yeah, it was very, it was, it was interesting. What is it? 14 years later, they were still uh, getting little digs in. That's what they were doing. <laughs> yeah. uh, Barry, the, or, the snippet where, where Keanu Reeves is, is interviewing Bernie Eccleston, you know, and, you know, they're both in equal cars, but Jeff Jensen outperforms him. And what do you mean equal cars? Yeah. <laughs> Yeah. They could barely afford one engine. They were just giving Jensen the better of the two engines. I just thought <laughs> yeah. it, was, it was hilarious. Yeah, yeah Ber- Bernie hasn't lost it. The way he, he got that point across was very good. Yeah, oh, it was brilliant. But yeah. He, he wasn't. He was. It wasn't like he wasn't bitter at times in it either, lads. You know, you could oh. tell he, him having to part no. with that money really hurt. Like really, you know, really got that. Really hurt about it was the Mozzarella or Luca the Mozzarella, yeah. the Ferrari boss. Oh you know, man, he, he, yeah. As I said, fourteen years later, he's still still convinced yeah. they were cheating, you know. But yeah. you know what? It wasn't was too long about sticking the knife in the rust, sure he wasn't. No, 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 no. But he said they were going on about the um the double diffuser, which which was um declared legal, you know. It was an interesting that the Japanese aerodynamicist only really seen the the kind of gap in the rules because he literally translated it from. English to Japanese word by word and, and read it literally as opposed to a, a native speaker of English would have read it and kind of, you know, superimposed what they thought it meant as opposed to what it actually said in, in black and white and um, and found the loophole. But it was funny that Christian Horner on it and they were on the Mozzarella and all and they were all saying, no, it's illegal, it's illegal, it's illegal. And then six races later, they all had it. So, well, it was mm. it was still illegal then, lads, or what? You know, <laughs> it's yeah. like they were all very they were all very black and white about how illegal it was, and then they were told they could or, do it too, and then they had no issues about putting that illegal part on the car themselves. So, what we spoke about in the Vegas race, you know, where all teams will sign that virtual bit of paper to say, "Listen, we we grant them a pass on this." The start yeah. of that season, they were all like, "Man, lads, we need to bond together, throw yeah. a few quid at Ross, and get them on the grid." And, Comes to the first test in Barcelona and goes two seconds a lap faster than anyone. Like fucking hell! Do you know what I thought was great about it? And and Richie and and Mike usually get this too. It, it, there was a lot of stories that were that were going through that they were, you know, uh, telling through the through the through the program. And I was just sitting there thinking, 
it's just like you know the, what we're at the club stuff you know obviously a million miles away uh, in terms of its f1 but things like you know they were all helping them when they thought they were in trouble at the start of the year they no engine and sure we'll give you an engine and sure don't worry about that we look after that for you and then as soon as they start getting bet by the yeah, same yeah. people they were helping you know and we've all seen that you know you come into a class and you start kind of you know, oh, everybody's trying to help you out it's great to see you here and good man and fair play to you and sure you'll get yeah. there eventually and then if you start doing well straight away it's yeah. it's yeah. all attractive Chris, real quick you know and, and, Chris, and Christian Horner's great quote in that is like you know if you want to get someone to hate you really quickly start winning, start winning. yeah yeah, yeah. It's just, I, I love that from the I think sometimes we lose that in F1 because we're watching it you know, through this kind of like with Verstappen, don't say anything negative. Through this prism of perfection, that you know everything is perfect, and we all the PR is all you know down the line, and nobody says anything, and you know, and it, it's it's a little bit a lot false in many cases. And when Verstappen just tells the truth, it kind of everyone's like, <gasps> you know, which is he didn't really say that, that too much. So, but in these documentaries where enough time is gone under the bridge that they, they can be a little bit more forthright that the reality of it kicks in and the reality of it is not that different to to, to what you'll find at your local local yeah. national circuits, you know, which is, I always find really, really, really kind of heartwarming in a sense because it means they're still, they're just, they're like the rest of us, they're just racers. That's all it is. Yeah. Just, you know, bigger cars and more money, but at the heart of it, they just want to go racing. And I, I, I think that came across really well with the, in, in that particular documentary with, 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 uh, with Braun. Yeah, yeah. And look, you've touched on it again there. These guys are just conditioned to say and tow the fucking political sponsorship PR bullshit line. Yeah. And Max obviously has a bit of a pass on that because of who he is as well, which is great. I mean, in one sense, it's fantastic that the top guy is like this, right? This is the guy that everyone's looking at anyway. Like, why not? You're perfectly placed. Yeah. And then there's the part where, well, it's easy for him to do it because he is that guy. Right, <laughs> so it's yeah. both like a positive and a negative, I think. Um, yeah, yeah, but know. he's he's saying it, stuff from everyone. It, it carries more weight because of who's saying it, for sure. Exactly that that. Yeah. But he's he's earned the right to say it at the same time. Exactly, know? and I also I also think Max's Max's biggest critics are not us anorak say his biggest critics are more new supporters to the sport. You know yeah. that. We like me, Barry, Mike, you, Kevin. We've we seen we followed that season with Braun back in the day, you know. Mm -hmm. And not everything that was spoke about back then was politically correct either. Only oh, you were a true motorsport fan. You were, you know, you were there to watch the race. I think the modern day fan takes a lot more offense to it than let's say what we would. Modern day fans are paying the whole. Right? <laughs> you only have to look at some of the some of the stupid thousands of stupid comments on social media where people jump on on and start making ridiculous statements and you're like ah oh, jesus but you know you can't stop it's, them it's, doing that that's what I'm, and like, it's unfair for me to suggest that that's all of the modern day fans right that's just completely unfair for me to suggest that so i do retract that to an extent <laughs> what i meant is what you're talking about which seems to be in essence quote unquote the modern day fan uh, which I just don't get. I, I'd feel embarrassed if I was only following a sport for two years and trying to land like I fucking know everything. Jesus Christ. It's, <laughs> well, it's, well, it's well documented, Kev. It's called the Dunning-Kruger effect. If, you're, if, you're, <laughs> if you look it up, it's basically it's two scientists, Dunning and Kruger, and the gist of it was that the more inept you are at something, the higher your perceived level of ability. So the more, the, the, the more, the more rubbish you are at doing something, the better you, are, you think you are at doing it. So and it's a fairly it, I, I I think it applies here you know it's it's um those with those with the kind of those that know what they don't know tend to stay quiet yeah and those you know That's empty vessels very, very empty, vessels, so, yeah. empty vessels yeah. make the most noise that type of thing so but the white man once said nothing uh, yeah <laughs> yeah all <laughs> or what's the other one keep your uh. Keep your mouth shut and people might think you're an idiot. You open it and, and prove to them you are. So there's a, there's a yeah, so I'm misquoting that slightly, but that's the gist of it. So I think there's a lot of that, you know, there's a lot of um there's a lot of that going on. You know, Dunning Kruger effect is in full force there mm -hmm. on, on this one. But you know what? At the same time, you know, give them give give them time 
um that you know they might they might come around these guys there the problem is that they, they can't put the toothpaste back in the tube once they said it in in twitter land or facebook comments or whatever it's it's out and about so you know i i i, I was that soldier once i was brought to a I think it was a soccer match. I'm not even that sure, which is so I was completely once. out. Of like, once, yeah, I know it was in Ireland. <laughs> I'm pretty sure it was Ireland. They were wearing green anyway, whoever they were. And an uncle of mine brought me along to it, and I tried to get involved in it. And they said something like, "Go on, whatever your man's name was." But sure, I got the name completely wrong. About three rows of crowd turned around and laughed at me. So I said. <laughs> Just I'd stay quiet. I probably said go on something someone that hadn't played in about three years or something. I just thought it was him and tried to get myself involved. So and they're all uh, like Scooby Doo. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Who's that fucking idiot there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think go on Twitter and do it. I just shouted it from the back of the Aviva or something. Yeah, yeah. The dies of it. I don't know what the Kruger effect. I think there was two guys that looked like Freddy Krueger there um Sunday. I don't know if they're on the screen now at the minute, but I'll be looking the same way next week, guys. So don't, don't worry. You actually look like you've recovered fairly well. So I'm not looking forward to my version of the Kruger effect. Um but uh yeah, look guys, I mean we've covered an awful lot in that hour or so. Uh we are looking forward to uh, you know, obviously something to something of substance to fight for the weekend and we, we downplay this mike you've reminded us there's a lot of money at stake you know um and it doesn't mean in any way whatsoever that we're going to have a boring weekend there's still plenty to, to keep us on our toes with i think so look thanks a million again guys for your time and uh, we'll do it all again next week see you later guys take care